Well, good morning, everyone. Very nice. Welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. Frost on the pumpkin this morning, right? Isn't that lovely? And it's perfect, actually, for our lunch and outing with Little Lambs and with Youth Group, which is going to take place right after Sunday school this morning. But again, I welcome you, whether you are a first-time visitor, a repeat visitor, a member, a lifelong member, no matter who you are, I'm glad that the Lord has brought you here. And he has done that, you know, not a single one of you by accident. The Lord has brought you to this point in your life and has given you the opportunity to worship him today, right now. And worship him we shall. But first, let me announce that again, our outing with little lambs and youth is today immediately following Sunday school. And we do have Sunday school for all ages. That means you adults as well. And that will start immediately after the morning worship service. Let me also announce that given the fact that it's already October 9th, we are doing a trunk or treat here at the church on October 30 from 4 to 6 p.m. So we are in need of volunteers that will allow us to use their trunks, that they decorate, that sort of thing. We're in need of candy donations as well. If you can't volunteer your trunk, we would love to have those donations. You can see Amanda about that. She's actually doing nursery this morning. Um, other things are going on too, like Monday midday is tomorrow. Amanda and I are going to be talking about our trip last spring to Europe to visit with missionaries and our denomination uh, in those various fields. And speaking of trips for the denomination, I'm about to take another one. I'm being sent to Africa, uh, Namibia to be precise, to represent the ARP church at the International Conference of Reformed Churches. It's going to be a long week, uh, meetings start in the morning and end late at night, but I'm excited to have the opportunity. Now, because of that, we're not going to be having daily devotionals for the next couple of weeks. We will not have Wednesday prayer meeting for the next two weeks, right? I'm only going to miss one Sunday. I'm, I'm just going to miss the 16th. Um, I'll be back for the 23rd, but I do hope you will be here next week um, because James is going to be with us for the last time in the foreseeable future because James has actually taken a call as pastor at Edgemont ARP Church in Covington. So he's preaching next week for me though and the ladies have a reception planned for him immediately after the worship service so I do hope that you will come and, uh, and take part in that. Now um, again lots of different things going on. Your bulletin is very important. If you're going to understand the things that are happening look at your bulletin. And one of those important things has to do with church security. There's a letter in there. So, Glenn, I'll, I'll recognize you if you want to make a, a, an announcement about that. So. Yeah, I just wanted to let you know about the letter. Uh, it's a lengthy. I apologize for that. Sometimes it takes a paragraph to say what I'd like to say and get just a couple numbers to code. But I'll send it to you in today, in, in, this, in this day. So I'm going to be in the church office session room after church. Thank you very much, Glenn. And again, if you have any questions, see Glenn, see one of the committee members. Um, we will be happy to answer those. What a blessing, again, it is that the Lord has brought us here. So now let's turn our hearts to him and prepare our hearts um, as Donna leads us in the prayer. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Donna. Sometimes I think Donna reads my mind because as soon as we got out of the worship service last week, I said, why didn't we sing Abide With Me? Because that was the passage that we were in with Jesus being the true vine. But I hope you recognize the prelude that Donna has offered this morning. Again, welcome to you all. It is the Lord that has called us here to worship. And our call to worship comes from Psalm 32. And it says, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. My friends, there are so many reasons for us to be here today in worship. There's, there's so many reasons we have to be thankful. But this is the ultimate reason that in Jesus Christ there is forgiveness. In Jesus Christ there is newness. As we'll get to at the end of the sermon, I don't want to preach one here, but as we get to then, we see that through Christ, God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or even imagine. What a blessing it is that this is the God that we serve, and it is he that has brought us here today. So now let's go to him in prayer, after which we'll pray the Lord's Prayer and confess the Apostles' Creed together. So let's go to him. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is that you have brought us here that you have given us this time to worship, to step away from the busyness of life, to break the pattern of the day in and day out, to not focus on ourselves, but instead to see you, to reflect on your mercy, your grace. And oh, Father, if we'll take the time, we'll see your blessings. Thank you for being the God of your word, for being this God of whom we have just read, that you are our salvation, that when the great floodwaters come, they will not reach us, for we are surrounded with joyful shouts of deliverance. Truly, you are our deliverer. So help us now as we come to you. Guide us by your Holy Spirit as we lift up songs of praise, as we pray, as we go to your word. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. And we pray also as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen indeed. And now, as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. Let's now continue our worship by taking our green Bible song book. The words are on the screen as we sing together Bible song number 207, Grateful Adoration, taken from the 100th Psalm. It's Bible song 207. Stand with me as we sing. be seated and children come on down front all right we've got a bunch gate why don't you sit right here here we go chloe you have a seat close by 
down, guys. Have a seat. We've got more coming. Come on down. I feel like Bob Barker sometimes. Come on down. We are not playing a pricing game, though. You kids have no idea what I'm talking about, of course. Some of you adults will. Anyway, it is so good to see y'all this morning. How are we today? That's good. Did anybody have any fun this week? At school? Did you learn lots? Of, no. <laughs> school is the place that we learn wonderful things. It's supposed to be full of excitement and joy, and you guys are too young to be miserable with school yet. But nevertheless... That is not what this uh, sermon is about right now. Now, last week, I want to pick up where we left off from last week. Last week, we talked about how important it is to trust in Jesus and to ask him to save you because Jesus is the only way that we can be saved. And I read a verse. It's John 14, 6. Do you remember it? It says, Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, in other words, to be with God forever in heaven, you have to believe in Jesus. And last week, though, we talked about something sad. We talked about how some people, very unwisely, they don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. No, they believe in other religions. Some people don't even believe that just plain silly, right? We're told in the Bible that Jesus is real. We're told in the Bible how Jesus rose from the dead. And not only that, after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, listen to what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. And I want you to listen because the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to a church in a place called Corinth. But this is God's word, and it says this. He said, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, and that means you all too, that the gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And he goes on, he's going to say more about that, but y'all, right at the start, Paul talks about the fact that the people believed what the Bible says. They believed in the gospel. And the gospel is a fancy word for good news, right? The people believed in the good news of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again from the dead. And that by believing in him, you can be with God forever. And then Paul goes on to say this. He said, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 people at one time. Did you guys hear that? You know, some people don't believe that Jesus was real or that Jesus existed. But after Jesus died on the cross and was buried, he rose from the dead. And not only did he appear to the disciples, he appeared to over 500 people. That means all those people saw Jesus with their own eyes after he died. He was supposed to be dead, but he was there with them. And y'all, what that means is that death is something that's very scary sometimes when we think about that. Sometimes we have loved ones die and we miss them. Sometimes we think about death ourselves. But Jesus rose from the dead and it means that Jesus has power over death. It means that you and I don't have to be afraid of death. Because all those people that you love that have died and love Jesus, well, if they love Jesus, 
And if you love Jesus, then you're going to see them again in heaven. And not only does the Bible say that Jesus rose from the dead, it says over 500 people saw him. That means we can believe that the Bible is true. And we can trust Jesus. And that's what I want to encourage you all to do today. You live in a world with a lot of people who very sadly don't believe in Jesus and the Bible. But I want you to remember that Jesus is real, that Jesus is alive, and I want you to remember to trust in him. Okay? Let me pray for you. Our Father, I thank you so much for these children. I thank you that you are working in their lives, that you have brought them to this point. I thank you for the same thing for the rest of us. As we think about this life, we know that there are people that don't trust in you, that don't believe your word is true. But I pray that these children would. I pray that all of us would. Father, I pray that we would not be scared, that we wouldn't live in fear, but that we would remember that when we know and love you, we don't have to be afraid of death because it just means that we'll get to be with you forever. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for loving these children. And I pray your blessings on them. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. And now as they are going, let's turn our hearts to the Lord in silent prayer, and then I will lead us in the pastoral prayer. Let's go to him now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, while there are many blessings we enjoy, certainly the providence of your hand, your sustenance, the way that you sustain and maintain the world around us, the way that you provide for us. Father, it is in what we have just read. It's in what I've just spoken about with the children that we glory, that we revel the fact that in you there is forgiveness the fact that we follow you, the one who is alive, the only true God. In the world around us, many follow the teachings of those that are long since dead. Perhaps there is some wisdom in those teachings. Most of it is worldly wisdom and amounts to nothing. But yet, Father, by evidence of the fact that those practitioners of those false faiths are now dead and gone, on to judgment. What a prompting it is. What an encouragement it is that our Lord and Savior is alive, seated at your right hand, and in fact, is praying for us right now, acting as our high priest, our go-between, between us and you. Again, Father, we revel in this. We, we celebrate the fact that in Jesus Christ there is hope, that in Jesus Christ the grave is not the final solution. It's not all there is. But instead, in Jesus Christ, there is light. Right here, right now, I pray that you would remind us of these things. Not only in terms of the long run, looking at what will happen one day, 
but we pray that you would encourage us in light of the fact that you are working today, right now, that Jesus, our great advocate, our high priest, is indeed praying for us. And you are active in the world. You are able to work wonders. You are able to change lives. And I praise you, Father, that I know this from personal experience because I am living that. Oh, Father, you're so good to us. And yet often we miss it. We forget your kindness. We focus on our will instead of your will. And what a mess we make of things. So, Father, right here, right now, we pray for your forgiveness. Recognizing our sins and recognizing our need for salvation from our sins, we once again turn to Christ. And I pray that you would work in all of our hearts to that end, that we would remember what you have done. I pray that not only in light of the grand scheme of things, I pray that in light of the very real issues that we face. There are those in our midst who are struggling right here, right now. They are going through difficult times, and Father, you know those times. Uh, there are folks here right now that are facing issues that nobody knows about but you and them. <laughs> and the reality, Father, is that some of us are facing issues, and we don't have a good sense to even recognize it. But you are here, and you are working. We pray that you would bring comfort, peace, and the assurance that you are the sovereign one, and that you hold us in your hand. I pray that you would do that not only with those who are struggling in other ways, but also those struggling physically, medically. We ask that you would bring healing and strength and comfort and restoration to those in our midst here right now and those who want to be here but can't. Please restore them to full health and bring them back to us. We pray these things not only for us, our, ourselves here at Old Providence, but recognizing the fact that you have joined us together with brothers and sisters in Christ that we don't even know. We pray for your church. This week, as, as I have the opportunity to represent our denomination, I pray I would do so well and that you would affirm to me again and again that we are not alone on this hillside here in Spotswood, but instead you have allowed us to be part of your grand redemptive plan. We don't deserve it, Father. But you have said in your word that it would be through us that we were to be the salt of the earth, that we are to be lights in the world, reflecting the light of your Son. So help us here in Spotswood to do this. Help your church spread abroad to do this so that many would come to know you. For we know, Father, that the world around us in so many ways is crumbling. It's, it's groping in darkness. It's lost. It's manifest around us every day. Yet the light of Jesus Christ will burn through the gloom of the world. So we pray that the world would turn to you. That in the midst of the fighting, in the midst of the catastrophes, the world would see their great need for you. In short, we pray for your intervention. We pray that the winds of revival would blow here in the United States as they are blowing in China, in Africa, in India, where the church is exploding with people coming to know you, we pray that we would have that too. And if it's in your will, Father, let it start right here, right now. 
We know from history, we know from your word, we know from our lives that you change the unchangeable. You redeem the unredeemable. So please, be at work in our midst. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have been a regular part of our worship with us these past several weeks, you know that we've been in a series within a series. I I began preaching on the various names of God some time ago, found throughout the Old Testament with God the Father. And then we moved on to the New Testament and found the names of Jesus, God the Son, all the things that he's told us about himself. But it's in the midst of this study that we then turned our attention To those names Jesus gave himself in his I am statements. Those statements wherein he evoked the name of God and also revealed so much about who he is right now. Why he came in the first place and what he's going to yet do. You know, take for instance in our study thus far. Remember Jesus saying in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. It is here that Jesus Pointed to the fact that salvation is sure for those who trust in him. Because in Christ we have the promise of the resurrection. Because he is the resurrection. And yet, at the same time, Jesus pointed out the fact that in him there is newness of life. There is purpose. Again, he changes the unchangeable right now. Because he is the life. That I am statement is just one of Jesus' I am statements. Yet it illustrates the pattern that Jesus has followed in our mini-series here, revealing that he is both God and revealing who he is as God. Now, uh, you can see from the slide in front of you here, and if you're joining us online, I hope you can see it. If you're just listening to the audio, you won't be able to see it. But nevertheless, you can see in this slide that in terms of the I am statements of Christ, typically folks point to seven. I am statements of Christ, or at least that's the grouping they put together. And we have studied each of the seven. Yet, there is an eighth. An eighth I am statement of Christ that is left out of this list for various reasons, but it's no less important to our understanding of who this Jesus is. In fact, I would argue that it is the gravity of the I am statement that we come to today that will help us understand The gravity of Jesus evoking the name of God. In fact, what we come to today can only explain how it's possible for Jesus to say things like, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the true vine, and and so forth. Because remember, the force of what Jesus said in these statements is not only in what he revealed about himself and what he promises to be. The real force of Jesus saying, I am is that when he does it, he evokes the name of the everlasting God. Jesus claims the name of God for himself. Now, if you were here when we began this mini-series, hopefully you'll remember, but the root of Jesus saying, I am, is extremely serious. So serious, in fact, that if he's not being honest, he's guilty of blasphemy. Yet he is. Now, if you're wondering, wow, what's the big deal with Jesus saying, I am? I I say, I am all the time. I I am hungry. I I am upset that we went past 11 o'clock. You know, we we say, I am. What's the big deal? Well, realize the root of this. To find the real force of this, and we talked about this early on in the series, you have to go back all the way to the Old Testament, to Exodus, 
when God's people were slaves in Egypt. And then they cried out to God and their their cries rose before God. And so therefore God decided to deliver his people from slavery. In doing so, God went to Moses. He approached Moses to be his prophet, to be his man. And he said, you will go and deliver my people. Now, Moses' response to God was what you might think. He said, whoa, hold hold on, God. Me? I'm the one you're going to use? But in the midst of all of this, Moses asked God in Exodus 3. It says, and this is Exodus 3.13. It says, then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Next in verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So you see, when Jesus, fast forward a thousand or so years, a couple of thousand, when Jesus in the New Testament uses this phrase, when he says things like, I am the good shepherd, or I am the bread of life. Make no mistake about it. The people knew that Jesus was using that sacred name of God, evoking it, claiming it for himself. And the end result, when they coupled that with the things that Jesus was doing, it says in John 8, 30, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. But... Some went absolutely nuts over Jesus saying this. We're going to see that in our passage today and elsewhere. Some believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They read the signs that he had performed correctly. And then some accused Jesus of being a demon for committing such blasphemy. They could not get past the fact that Jesus claimed the name of God, that sacred name for himself. But the question that we come to today is, how could Jesus do that? Use the name of God like that. What gave Jesus the right to do this? And also, what makes him all those things that he said he is through his I am statements? We're going to find the answer to these questions in the eighth I am statement. And we actually find that in the gospel according to John. You guessed it, so go ahead and turn there with me. The gospel according to John chapter 8 is where we are today. So John chapter 8. Now, as you're turning there, where we're going to pick up reading is really at the end of chapter 8. And it's after Jesus has avoided the Pharisees' trap that they set with him uh, for him with the woman who was supposedly caught in adultery. Now, remember earlier on in John's gospel, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders are doing all they can to discredit Jesus. They want to ruin his reputation, right? People are are placing their faith in Jesus. We just read that from John 8.30. They're placing their faith in Jesus. And so the Pharisees, they want to discredit him. They want to catch him in a trap. They want to make him look like a fraud, a fool, and so forth. Now, they aren't able to do this at the beginning of chapter 8. So instead, they just start to argue with Jesus, to, to engage him, thinking that they're going to humiliate him by either showing him to be incorrect or just plain ignorant. So in the verses leading up to where we're going to start reading today, Jesus has just in turn confronted the Pharisees. And he's confronted the Pharisees by telling them, you're not the children of God, because if you were God's children, you'd be doing the things God wants you to do. Instead, Jesus said to them in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. 
And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. And y'all, you don't have to think too hard to put two and two together here. Jesus is saying to them at the start, all you want to do is carry out your father's desires. In other words, he's a murderer and a liar. You are too. You know, Jesus doesn't pull any punches with them. This is the same group that he would refer to as whitewashed headstones. Right? You look good on the outside, but all you are is death. He would refer to them as a, as a brood of vipers. As a group of poisonous snakes ready to strike. He would say to them, you are the sons of hell itself. Because they were. And today we pick up with the aftermath of Jesus really calling the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders out and telling them who they are, namely the sons of Satan. And it is in this aftermath that we hear the eighth I am statement of Jesus, but we also find out again the authority by which Jesus can claim the sacred name of God. Find out who Jesus really is. And we're going to start reading in verse 48 of John chapter 8. But before we read anything, let's pray because we need help. Our God and our Father, please be with us now as we come to, to this section of your word, this passage. We come to something that, Father, with the finite minds that we have, we come to something that's rather mind-bending. Something that doesn't quite make sense to us. And yet it is true, and it points to the majesty of your Son, and to, in fact, the point that he is God. He is, he is divine. He is God the Son. Without your Holy Spirit, we will not understand. I'm not good enough to explain it. I'm really not. I, I, Father, this is not an academic time. It's not a philosophical time. We're in a spiritual time, and please give us the spiritual help we need to understand, to see Jesus for who he is. So please guide us now by your Holy Spirit. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So John chapter 8, beginning in verse 48. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, the Jews responded to him. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you claim to be? Then in verse 54, Jesus said, if I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say, he is our God. He is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But if I do know him and I keep his word, or excuse me, but I do know him and I keep his word, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he was glad. 
The Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. All right, as it was last week, the I am statement of Christ that we just came to today is not hard to find. It was right there in verse 58 when Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. So it's not hard to find. But it is tricky to understand. So we need to be careful here as we focus on what Jesus said. The setting reveals a lot of what's going on. It's rather simple. Again, where he picked up or where we picked up is in the midst of Jesus confronting the Jewish leaders. He's just called them the sons of their father, the devil, like we read before we got to verse 48. And he's already said they're simply doing their father's will when they respond with how we started. They make something that I call a quaitment. You know what a quaitment is? One's a quaint, right? They ask a question, but really it's much more of a statement. I've given this example before. If my wife says to me, you still haven't cleaned out the garage? Now, technically speaking, that's a question, isn't it? If you were writing it out, there would be a question mark at the end. Your voice might rise at the end of saying such a thing. But it's really more of a statement than it is a question, right? That's what's going on here with the Pharisees when they say to him in verse 48, the Jews responded to him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Technically, that's a question, but they're really making a judgmental statement about Jesus. And it's fascinating. It's not even enough for them to say that he has a demon. They have to call him a Samaritan. Right, we're not going to get into this today, but the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews thought the Samaritans were like these half-breeds, right? Now, Jesus' response to them is that he has no demon. And in fact, that he's simply doing the will of the Father. So much so that Jesus says in verse 51, Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. You see, what Jesus has done here, And, you know, I've been saying this all along, both in this series and in the daily devotionals, uh, which in those were simply going through John's gospel, right? But Jesus, once again, does away with the notion that he's just a teacher, that he's just a prophet even, that he's just a wise man. Jesus does away with the idea that he saw himself as anything but God the Son. He leaves no room for any other descriptors for himself. So much so that he equates his word with salvation. Jesus said, I know my father and I do my father's will. And you don't know him because you're not honoring me. Y'all, a couple of weeks ago we were in John 14, 6. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Take what we've read just this morning. Jesus flat out says, you have no life because you don't honor me. So let's do away with the notion that Jesus is anything but God the Son. But we also need to be careful here to understand what Jesus is talking about. Right? He says, anyone who keeps my word, he will never see death. Realize Jesus isn't talking about the death of this life. Okay? He's not talking about the death of the body. He's talking about ultimate spiritual death. The death of hell itself. Eternal death. 
And even though that's what Jesus is very obviously talking about, the Jews that Jesus was confronting, surprise, surprise, they totally missed what he was saying. Their minds immediately went to the literal. And so they said to him in verses 52 and 53, Then the Jews said, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you claim to be? I've read it with that tone because really what they're doing here to Jesus is saying, who do you think you are? How dare you equate yourself with life, with salvation? Abraham died. The prophets died. Interestingly enough, they don't talk about the prophets that they killed. Yeah, they, they leave that part out you know, conveniently. But nevertheless, as they're dealing with Jesus, saying, are you saying that you're better than Abraham? They've taken Jesus' statement on keeping his word and never dying, and they've applied it to everyone who has ever died, saying, oh, so you think you're better than them? You know, this is a good time to point out something about the Jews with Abraham, right? Um, Realize that the Jews borderline worshipped Abraham. They did the same thing with Moses. They did the same thing with angels. They took great pride in being able to trace their family lineage all the way back to Abraham and so forth. And really, they viewed Abraham as their father. And that's the father of Judaism. And they weren't necessarily wrong. I mean, we know it was through Abraham that God chose a people for himself. We we know that Abraham received God's covenant promises. But we also know from Hebrews 11, 9 and 10, that Abraham, even though he could have built a grand palace, he lived in a tent. Why? Because he was looking for the city whose foundations, or which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham always kept looking for the Messiah. He kept looking for the Christ, but they missed it. They were so wrapped up in their family tree, their their lineage, their heritage, and their false sense of superiority that they missed what? They missed who Abraham looked for, namely Christ. And if you doubt such reasoning, listen to what Jesus responded to them by saying next. In the midst of their fury, after they insulted Jesus and accused him of being demon-possessed, Jesus said, if I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father about whom you say he is our God, he is the one that glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. And then it's this next verse that's so important. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. And was glad. Do you get what Jesus is saying here? The the gravity of this? This points to something bigger than Jesus the baby born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. You see, for that doesn't change the fact that Jesus took on flesh and he made his dwelling among us. He was indeed born in Bethlehem. But y'all, that was not the start of God the Son. No, very much to the contrary. Jesus knew Abraham. He knew that Abraham was looking forward to the day of his own coming. Jesus knew it, but they missed it. Jesus knew what Abraham was doing. He knew what he was doing. He knew that the signs he was offering all pointed to his authenticity, but they missed those too. You see, what we find yet again with the Pharisees is something we can be guilty of. Jesus didn't fit into their expectations of who they thought he should be. And so they missed him altogether. I have to ask, are you doing that? We're all tempted to. 
When life doesn't work the way we thought it would, when you find yourself in a scenario that you really thought you would be past at this point, when you're puzzled, when your world has fallen apart and you don't know what to do, it is very easy to blame God. It is very easy to have in your mind who you think God ought to be and what Jesus ought to be doing. And as a result, you can miss him. That's not to say that he isn't going to keep working, but y'all, the comfort that we have in him, the peace that we have in him, the opportunity to trust in him, so often we forfeit that, as they did. And so they replied, missing him. In verse 57, the Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham again. They, they can't get past the literal. They're, they're stuck on it. They've totally missed who they're dealing with. They didn't listen to the fact that Jesus said he knew Abraham, and Abraham looked forward to his day unfolding before them. But how? I alluded to it a moment ago that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. How did Jesus know Abraham, though? How did Abraham know Jesus? How are all of these things possible? And again, as we come back to him evoking the name of God, claiming the sacred name, what gave Jesus the right? Well, my friends, the answer to all of these questions is revealed in what Jesus was going to say next. Because what Jesus would say next reveals his true identity. His true nature. In no uncertain terms, Jesus tells them who they are dealing with. And what did he say to them? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Now y'all, this is one of those places that we fail to see the significance with our 21st century Gentile eyes. We, we fail to grasp the gravity of what Jesus has just done here not only does jesus lay claim to eternality that he is the eternal one always existing with the father and with the holy spirit not only does jesus place himself before the object of their pride and affection placing himself above abraham the father of judaism Again, Jesus has evoked that sacred name, the I am, claiming it for himself. When Jesus did this, it held the same force as what we would find not too long from this point. When Jesus would be brought before the Sanhedrin after his, after his arrest, right? Just prior to his death. You can read all about it in Mark and the Gospels. But in Mark 14, 61 and 62, we read about Jesus standing there before the Sanhedrin. He's been lied about. He's been falsely accused. And it's in 61b and 62 that we find that again, the high priest questioned him. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Verse 62. I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The same forcefulness is seen there in Mark 14 as, in, as is seen in John 8. But interestingly enough, look at how the reply is or look at what takes place after. And in Mark 14, 63, it says then, after Jesus saying, I am. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, why do we still need witnesses? 
You've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. In our passage, in verse 58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. And how did they react? Verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him. And y'all, this was capital punishment. They were there to kill him for daring to say these things. So let us make no mistake that they understood exactly what Jesus was saying. That again, Jesus said, I am the eternal one. I am God. And he claimed this because he is. Jesus is God the Son from all eternity forever. And I know that that's mind-bending. We who have finite minds, all of us, this is something we just can't wrap our minds around. How do we even begin to understand eternity? Think about it. A time where there won't be time? (laughs) Our minds are not equipped to process these things. How do we begin to understand Jesus who took on flesh and made his dwelling among us in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago? And yet was there from the beginning. If you go back and read John chapter 1. You find out that there was nothing made that wasn't made through him. Yet he is the eternal one. And I hope you see the importance of this. And no it's not important because they just wanted to kill him for it. It's important because of Jesus' eternality. Jesus' eternality is the reason he can be all of the things he claims to be in the I am statements. Think about it. The only reason Jesus could claim, I am the bread of life, is because he's eternally God, ruler over the universe, holding the power of life in his hands. The same is true with him saying, I am the good shepherd. How could he be the good shepherd if he did not have God's dominion? And he'd have it no other way than besides being God himself from all eternity. How could he say, I am the true vine, were it not for his perfect communion with the Father and with the Spirit for all time? The same is true with all of his I am statements. They're all based on the fact that he is God in the flesh who made his dwelling here. And this is also important because it is his eternality, his identity. It's in this that we come to grips with who Jesus really is. It's his being eternal, God the Son, that we find that he's not just a man, not just a teacher, not not just a prophet. It's in his eternality that we find that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name in heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He is our Lord and our God and our calling is to believe on his name alone. It is in his eternality that we see his power to work in our lives. His, his power over the effects and the ugliness and the nastiness of the world around us. It's in his eternality, his divinity, his power that he gives you hope. That he can comfort you and that he can intervene in your life. The question comes down to the fact of do you recognize Jesus as Lord and God? Is he your Lord and God? If the answer to this is yes, then trust in him. Obey him and leave the consequences to him, understanding that he's working. That he sees, that he knows better than you know, better than I know. Rest in him. 
I don't know what you're facing today, but I know that Jesus knows. And I know that he is not just some teacher whose wise sayings you should follow. He didn't just come as an example to show us what to do. He holds the power to change all things, to redeem all things, to redeem you. Because before Abraham was, I am. And in that he is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. But do you see him as the eternal one? Are you trusting in him as your Lord and Savior? If so, keep going. If not, turn to him today. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for your word, for what you reveal to us in it. That again, Jesus is not just some man, not just some wise teacher, but instead... We find you, God the Father. We find your Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. We find your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, God the Son. And in him we have every hope. In him we have every assurance because of your power at work in him for us. For those that know you, please spur them on. Help them to turn to you again and again. And for those who do not, please draw them to yourself now. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now as we close this time, we will turn in our hymnals. Oh goodness, I don't have my bulletin anymore. I think I put it under here. Yes, we will turn in our hymnals to number 271. And we're going to sing a hymn. Um, In my hymnal, I mark down when we sing hymns. And I don't think we've sung this since I've been here, which is a scandal. This is one of my absolute favorite hymns. I hope that you know it. Pay attention to the words as we sing them. This hymn is full of truth, and it shows us again who Christ is. So please stand with me as we sing Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep It's upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.